Scott Reed is here, CTV political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin. Happy Friday, sir. Good morning, sir. Okay, so I'm very curious about your reaction to the threat of another convoy protest. I have to think that Ottawa police this time will make short work of it. I also have to wonder how the guy who's plotting it is actually barred from being in Ottawa, so I guess he can't go. Yeah, you you know what? I don't take it seriously, but I hope that People who aren't me, just some guy cracking off on the radio, people who are in a position of authority, people who are responsible for planning policing operations and um, responsible for the integrity of the downtown core of Ottawa do take it seriously. So I think, you know, if he's going to telegraph that he intends to come, then let's make sure he can't come. But I, I, I doubt this is going to happen. And, you know, even the threat, I think it's just, you know, in the context of the, the timing with the commission, I think it's just a plane of effort on the part of this loser. And let's be honest, he's a loser. Just a effort on his part to, to, to get noticed, to get attention. You know, he's he's not being talked about the last couple of days, and I think he just wants to have his name circulated. Let's talk about Christia Freeland's testimony yesterday. And effectively, this is an interesting legal argument uh, because, you know, she was representing the economic threat of the convoy protests and the blockades at the border as being essentially an attack on Canada worthy of the Emergencies Act. Here she is talking about some of the advice she was getting. The longer it went on, the greater threat that the U.S. would lose faith in us and our trading relationship would be irreparably damaged. The longer it went on, the greater the threat that foreign investors would write off Canada. So, Scott, she made a very good case about how the Canadian economy was under assault. That doesn't necessarily rise to the level where the Emergencies Act is warranted. Doesn't necessarily, um, and there are some, you know, there are some legal experts that argue, well, there is no provision within the Emergencies Act for an economic threat. I think there are others who will say, you know, um, threat is not a precisely interpreted or defined term, and so it could, um, it could notionally draw upon a whole series of things. I think if you look at the arc of ministerial testimony over the course of the week, you could, and I'm not saying this is necessarily how they planned it, but you could break it down as an effort to display and highlight varying forms of threat that were posed. So Marco Mendicino very clearly talking about a direct personal security threat, like a, a national security threat, talking about Brenda Lucky, the RCMP commissioner, telling him about people are armed and ready at the border, you know, all of the, what's going on in downtown, very clearly downtown Ottawa, very clearly talking about, you know, that traditional notion of a security threat. David Lemeny talking about a personal security threat, talking about how he had to flee the downtown core where he lived and feeling, you know, literally jeopardized in terms of his personal safety. And then Minister Freeland talking about economic threat. I think in some ways you see the ministers attempting to make the case to Rilo threat needs to be defined and needs to be understood and therefore needs to be interpreted in a wide variety of ways. And we had threat not in one way, two ways, three ways, but multiple ways. And as a consequence, the invocation of the Emergencies Act was warranted. I don't know if that's a logic he will employ when he makes his ruling, but I, I, I think you can very much look at their testimony this work uh, this week and see it through that lens. Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau will be on the stand today. And, um, you know, I've, I've written columns about this in the National post. Everybody always expects Justin Trudeau is going to fall on his face, and then he doesn't, and they're bitterly disappointed and look forward to the next time. But what do you think is going to happen today? John, don't apologize for writing in the National Post. You have nothing to be ashamed about. But <laughs> I, I just, I, I would, 
I, I, I think that's, I think that's right. Look, you know, this is only the third time in history that a prime minister has appeared at a judicial inquiry testifying under oath. First was Sir John A. Second time was my old boss, Paul Martin, during the Gomery inquiry. Um, it's a unique and exhausting circumstance. You're up there potentially for hours. Um, any statement you make as the prime minister is going to make news or could make bad news for you. So, you know, how I my suspicion is that the prime minister has prepared very thoroughly for this. He knows exactly what um, the danger zones are, what he wants to avoid. And I think one of the like absolute cornerstone principles you carry into this is one, you want to be intentional. You want to make news. Knowing that you're going to make news, you want to make news where you want to make it, on the subject matter that you want to make it. So look for him to come in armed with some kind of statement, some colorful phrasing, something that begs television producers to clip him. Make news where you want to make news. Don't make news where you don't. And the second thing is, of course, we know he has to prepare for the cross-examination that will come from the convoy lawyer, who himself has acted just again last evening, like an absolute Marx brother, just a complete buffoon. <laughs> and so, you know, that that is a, the reverse danger, uh, I would say, actually, of your point, because, you know, he's been such a clown all week long. It's easy to underestimate the convoy lawyer. And you don't want to start to get cocky and go, well, when this group ball tries to get his mitts on me, I'm going to have a ball. It's still a dangerous circumstance. It's still a dangerous setting. That's going to be the moment people are watching for. If you're the prime minister, there can be no improvisation. There can be no emotion. You can't get angry. Don't let that guy get under your skin. Make certain you know exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it when you get um, questioned by the convoy lawyer. And if he wants to be a buffoon like he has all week long, great. Let him make news. Let him unveil himself as an idiot. Let him talk about people falsely carrying Nazi flags and wrongly accusing people of having done so. But be careful and stay contained if you're the prime minister. I'm actually surprised this uh, case had to go to the Supreme Court, but the court has ruled that it's not entrapment if a police officer poses as a teenager and lures people to a hotel room in an, under the impression that they're going to be able to sleep with a minor. Uh, that's not entrapment. Wow. What a surprise. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's good to test these things and make certain that we know that, you know, the, these policing techniques pass the uh, constitutional test. But there was never going to be anybody that was going to have the slightest bit of sympathy for the techniques used to uh, um, to identify and, um, and, and, and arrest uh, pedophiles. I mean, you know, goodness, uh, what, what could be less sympathetic? So, you know, but I mean, look, people policing, they, they pose undercover. They, you know, they 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 do these techniques. So. I'm not shocked by the um, by the ruling, um, but I'm awfully glad it was upheld. Imagine if it'd been the other way, and we'd be sitting here talking on the radio as to, well, you know, why you know this is legally inappropriate, and as a consequence, the cops are going to have to turn themselves in this many twists and turns. Thank goodness we're not in that place. Okay, and at the risk of this being a complete non-issue, let's listen in for a second. John Herdman, the very charismatic coach of the Canadian men's soccer team, uh, is under fire for having said uh, F Croatia. I just showed them the stats. I just showed them they belong here. Told them they belong here. And we're going to go and F Croatia. That's as, as simple as it gets. All right, it's just trash talking. I can't get that worried about it. Yeah, it's a mistake. Like, I, I think he's a fantastic coach, like an unbelievably capable coach. 
Um, and I understand why he said it and the emotion that he was feeling in the aftermath of that uh, near win, us playing way above our heads against the second-rated team in the World Cup in Belgium. But it's a mistake. You don't give the other team uh, what they call locker room, you know, b- uh, bulletin board material. Um, you know, this allows Croatia to feel like they are the put-upon ones. We are the underdogs. We should embrace the role of the underdog. I think he knows he made a mistake. You could tell the way he dealt with it yesterday in the media, trying to underplay it. I've effectively apologizing for it. He knows he made a mistake. Um, it's a small thing. These are coaching tactics, but um, all things being said, I want to maintain the position of the underdog. I don't want to give the other team anything to get uh, grist in their teeth. All right. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Thank you.